I think uh, the the thing that really sticks out for me um, and what really brought it to the forefront of my mind to go, okay, this is something that we really need to fight for. I was at the um, I was at the protest where uh, Trump um, pushed back the line in order to take a picture in front of the church with the Bible. I think everyone kind of remembers that. And I remember I was at the front of the line and my portion of the line was primarily white people. And the other side of the line was primarily black people. And the uh, soldiers in front of me told me and my fellow um, people next to me, um, hey, just so you know, we're going to be pushing back the line. Um, so be careful. Don't get trampled over, et cetera, et cetera. And we were like, okay, well, thanks for telling us. We'll move back. That's so no these problem. were American soldiers and not policemen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they were in full military gear. Wow. Okay. Um, and then the other side of the line, nobody said anything. So when they started to push back the line, my side was totally fine. We moved back just like they asked us to, and it was no problem. But the other side of the line was bowled over. People were starting to get beat. There were um, threats and, and words exchanged. And it was just heartbreaking to watch because it just proved the reason why we were there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tic Tac Topher. We X and O our way through topics, millennial success stories, entrepreneurship, small businesses rescue, LGBTQ pride stories, and more. This is Tic Tac Topher. What's going on, listeners? This is Christopher here coming to you with another episode of Tic Tac Topher. Today, we have our guest speaker, Kyle Johnson. Kyle, how are you doing? Ooh, super good. We are here to talk about some pretty interesting stuff. Kyle, um, you have quite the interesting story. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, everybody has a little bit of an interesting story, right? They have stuff in, in the, quite literally in the closet or... I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was born in Pakistan. Uh, my parents are American. They grew up in California and everything. But um, born in Pakistan to some parents who were working with refugees um, from the uh, Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. Uh, so they were working on business creation and microloans um, uh, throughout uh, refugee communities in Pakistan and then over into Afghanistan at Amazari Sharif. Um, so lived there for quite a few years and then, uh, the Taliban started to roll through mm -hmm. and we were forced to leave, um, kind of flee in the middle of the night. There was like weapon seizures and life was starting to get dangerous. So, uh, we moved back to the U S for a couple of years, um, quickly moved, uh, just to Arizona. My parents worked for the same company, um, but just on the U S side. We were going to go back to Afghanistan in 2001, um, and so we visited, and I, you know, there's a really fun picture that we have hanging up of me uh, standing in front of a tank in a, um, a little <laughs> shower kameez um, with some locals, and it was uh, such a great time, and I was only like six years old at the time, but I distinctly remember it because it was just, uh, it was like going back home. Yeah. Uh, but we got back, and 9-11 uh, happened, and it was just a... Uh, a difficult time for us to decide to move back to that part of the world um, with the war happening and then with uh, just a lot of uncertainty and with us being such young kids I think my parents wanted to just make sure that we were going to be okay so did you move to and correct me if I mispronounce this uh, 
Pakistan? Is that no, Pakistan's right for where I was born. Um, afterwards, okay. we moved to Uzbekistan in 2003. Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Uzbekistan, yeah. I said it right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Where'd that go? So did you move there after September 11th? Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah, okay. we moved there in 2003. Um, my parents worked on the same thing, um, business creation, microloans, um, things like that. My dad was a photographer by trade, so um, worked at a business there um, that, was, that was primarily promoting that. Um, and then... Uh, uh, yes, then we ended up leaving Uzbekistan in 2006 because the Uzbek government started to kill some of their citizens. There was a popular uprising against their, I guess you could say, tyrannical rule. And uh, the American government said, hey, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be killing your people. (laughs) And uh, the Uzbek government said, well, you guys can all leave. So every American, regardless of whether or not they were working for the government or just there for NGO purposes, was, uh, was kicked out of the country. My dad was blacklisted and under house arrest while we had to like kind of pack up our stuff and leave. And I remember having to uh, go to the airport in the middle of the night and I didn't get to say goodbye to any of my friends or the neighbor peoples or anything along those lines. And it was, uh, it was crazy. Um, that is terrifying. Yeah. It was, it was pretty difficult for a, an 11 year old Kyle. I think it really shaped my life, um, going forward in a, in a lot of different ways. Right. Yeah. Looking back at that, journey that you had with your family Mm -hmm. was there any type of similarities to because i mean you were in washington dc when everything started to kind of break out with Mm -hmm. the whole black lives matter movement and yeah yeah i think uh i think the the biggest similarity to me is the demonization of the people fighting for their rights Mm. so in afghanistan and and pakistan um but mainly afghanistan Um, you know, there were, there were people who were literally not allowed to leave their homes, women who, whose husbands and brothers had died in the war and they weren't allowed to leave their homes to go buy groceries. So they were starving to death Mm -hmm. at the time. And, uh, so, you know, when you look at that, you go, it's really frustrating to come back to the United States and to see the generalities of people to say, um, all, Muslims are terrorists or everybody in that community who identifies as Muslim must have come from some extremist background when in reality they're victims of a political system and a, and a um, that, that was disadvantaged to them. And in the same respect, I think when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you just see so much demonization against people who are just trying to tell their story right. and just trying to say, hey, this is something that I've experienced. And then to just have it be thrown back in their face to say that what you're experiencing isn't real, but it is, it 100% is, and you can't discount people's stories like that. It's just not, it's not okay. I think uh, the the thing that really sticks out for me um, and what really brought it to the forefront of my mind to go, okay, this is something that we really need to fight for. I was at the, um, I was at the protest where uh, Trump um, pushed back the line in order to take a picture in front of the church with the Bible. I think everyone kind of remembers that. And I remember I was at the front of the line and my portion of the line was primarily white people. And the other side of the line was primarily black people. And the uh, soldiers in front of me, told me and my fellow um, people next to me, um, hey, just so you know, we're going to be pushing back the line, um, so be careful, don't get trampled over, et cetera, et cetera. And we were like, okay, well, thanks for telling us, we'll move back. That's so no these problem. were American soldiers and not policemen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were in full military gear. Wow, okay. Um, and then the other side of the line, nobody said anything. So when they started to push back the line, 
my side was totally fine. We moved back just like they asked us to, and it was no problem. But the other side of the line was bowled over. People were starting to get beat. There were um, threats and and words exchanged. And it was just heartbreaking to watch because it just proved the reason why we were there. Um, the reason <laughs> being that obviously my side got way better treatment for something that was so easy for them to just say, hey, just be careful. You know, it would have been so easy for them to say that. But instead, they just bowled over you know it's it's just based off the color of your skin yeah and it's, it's crazy that they're horrible mean, what, 50 to 100 years later we're still having this conversation of racism mm -hmm. in america and the fact that that's still happening and it took people locked in our houses in a pandemic to happen for us to realize that hey this is still an issue mm -hmm. is a bit disgusting i agree um but i mean every single every single country i think does have like you said and little touched a little bit on a little bit of a dark history oh, for sure i think a lot of times too we, we look at racism in america or um you know any kind of progress in america as being so far in the past um but in reality it wasn't even though the pictures of the civil rights movement were in black and white mm -hmm. i mean your grandparents our, our grandparents were there during that time you right. know it, it's not like it's actually that far removed um, I think one thing that's that's important, I think, too, especially if you look at other cultures and other countries, um, is this idea of generational trauma. Um, in Iran, for example, people are still angry and hurt by the way that the American government um, came in and uh, and ousted their leader or, or created a coup, you know, to put in a leader that was more American friendly. That was invading their sovereignty and to this day it still angers them and frustrates them because there was generational trauma through that mm -hmm. we impacted their country in that same way now that's by no means the same thing as as what um people are going through in this country but the way that your grandparents are treated if they're treated badly um will absolutely affect how you live your everyday life as well um and even that goes back generations and generations and um I think it's just important to realize that too. I think that's a huge, a huge part of this in addition to everything else that we've seen in the past year. No, I have to agree. I mean, people are, there are a lot of people that I know um, that were my friends that are no longer my friends due to some of the conversations that we had and disagreements that we had on either uh, whether we should be vaccinated or how a lot of the people who believed in the Black Lives Matter movement were either uneducated or people who are just wanting attention. Hmm. Um, who would you have or what would you have to say to everybody out there who think that the Black Lives Matter movement was created to, uh, by the democratic hmm. part of the government to essentially get Trump out of office. Oh, that's I mean, that's like a scheme. I would but, say just listen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got my master's in international um, relations and human rights. Mm -hmm. And consistently, when you look at the world healing from civil wars or from um, trauma, like Rwanda and stuff like that, right. they have to go through a period where you tell stories, where you explain the trauma that you went through and the pain that you went through 
so that your society can move forward. Right. And right now we have a huge portion of the American population saying, hey, we need to tell our story. We need to say this is what we've been through and we need you to listen and be there for us and to just be willing to hear and et cetera, et cetera. So you have that happening and then you have people completely disregarding it. Mm -hmm. And that I think hurts even more. So I don't even see this as a political thing. I see it as a, as honestly, if this had gone differently where people actually were more receptive to the black lives matter movement, I thought it would have been a healing movement, a movement where you would have seen people go breathe, breathe fresh air and to say, we can finally get off of our chest, the pain of the past. And instead, I think you've seen it just kind of grow and multiply because we haven't been willing to listen. I think that's a huge issue. I think uh, somebody, I mean, somebody told me a great metaphor that I still hold very dearly. Um, It's kind of like somebody blowing up a balloon and eventually that balloon's going to pop. So, and instead of that balloon kind of getting to the point where it pops on its own, where it'd be healing moment, somebody came up and just popped it with a Tic Tac. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, welcome to your episode. I am excited that you are here today. Um, As I'm sure you are aware of, but if some of our listeners haven't listened to a previous um, episode of Tic-Tac-Tofer, we are about to play a metaphorical game of what I like to call Tic-Tac-Toe. So we're going to go through um, your life, and we're going to hit all of the X's and O's, um, and we're going to kind of go through that. And at the end of this, if you have any advice to give to somebody who um wants to start their own business mm-hmm. um just please do that one yeah happy so to. that's all i ask of you um but yeah so diving right into this uh what's one thing you wish you had known when you began your journey that's a good question um i guess i would i wish i had known the amount of time that it took out of my just day-to-day owning and running my own business mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I was fully prepared for that. I definitely adapted as, um, as I went along. Um, but it is, it can be very draining. Um, and if you aren't prepared for it, then I think that that can be, um, a, a quite a big hurdle to overcome when you're going through the business uh, process and starting it up. I mean, so many people think that when you're starting your own business, that it's going to give you so much more freedom because mm-hmm. you're not working for the quote unquote man, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I mean, what were some of the freedoms that it gave you? Yeah. I mean, you pick and choose your own schedule, which is great. Um, you also, it feels just more like you feel like you're really, really accomplished with everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, every decision that you're making is personally impacting you and also personally impacting your business. Whereas, you know, I, I used to work for different financial companies and periodically I would, I would just be like, what is the purpose of, of my role in a lot of different times, you know, yeah. it doesn't feel like a lot of the things that I'm doing even matter. And so with the business, it just felt like every single thing that I did was extremely important. And, um, and that felt really good. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you're literally creating your own business from the ground up, like we talked about beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now, you talked about some of, I mean, you create this environment. Did you have like a like cafe at one point? I mean, did you have like an actual like coffee shop kind of like what a, what a Starbucks looks like or? Yeah. So when uh, we were starting out, we were trying to figure out uh, 
where we could go. And in Washington, D.C., it is incredibly difficult to find any kind of uh, um, actual usable space that's affordable. Mm -hmm. um, most places are, you know, for a year's rent for a business, you're looking at 90000 to to $100,000. And for a small business, that's essentially impossible to that's break annual? even. Yeah, that's an annual. Wow. Okay. Um, so we spent a long time just really finding the right space um, that would accommodate a coffee shop in the way that we needed it to. Um, we went through the whole rigmarole of uh, we found a space and we were designing it and then it ended up being that the building was like condemned and so we had to find a new space and got lucky here and there. But we did end up finding a space that was perfect for us. Um, it was uh, just small enough. We could have a few seats inside, quite a bit of patio seating. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy how it all kind of came together, but it's quite the word you use rigmarole. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dad coming out of me. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Um, what was, I think one of, I mean, owning and creating that environment, right? What were, I think, I mean, especially in Washington, DC, it's mm. such a pivotal moment Yeah. in our country. What was, I think like, what was the best story that you took away from that mm -hmm. like yeah so when i was kind of thinking about the space that i wanted to create um with the coffee shop uh, there were a few things that were really on my forefront um i got my master's degree in international relations and with the emphasis on human rights so i wanted to incorporate that into the business mm -hmm. so when i was looking at different needs that washington dc had the biggest one that came up was trans women of color needing a place to um, um, to work, to grow, mm -hmm. and uh, financial stability in some way. So my goal with the shop was to provide that safe space for them to express themselves, to learn, to grow, and to potentially um, move up to where they would be able to own the coffee shop as well. The pandemic really kind of ruined that dream um, in terms of, of just franchising it, it sounded like. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, just wasn't able to come to fruition because we ended up selling the business, which is ultimately a very positive thing. But yeah. Do you think that it would have been different if the pandemic never happened? Ooh, 100%. Um, there were, we were in line for a whole bunch of uh, um, different contracts and everything that mm -hmm. ended up uh, stalling because the all of the office buildings in Washington, D.C. closed down. Oh, wow. So uh, we just didn't have uh, nearly the revenue or the audience that we were expecting to get. We were still able to survive through it and, and do really well, but, um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. There was a lot that we could have done, I think, for both the community and for uh, um, and just for the business itself, too. How do you think the pandemic will change, if anything, hmm. in... Washington, D.C. Do you think that it drained the swamp? <laughs> I guess using that metaphor is kind of a bad thing, but... Yeah, I just, I don't really necessarily believe in the swamp. I, I don't think yeah. that that's a real, a real accurate term because, again, these, these people are fully dedicated to the, um, to the jobs they have. And I think that that's on both sides. You know, I think that you see Republicans come to Congress or Democrats who come to Congress and actually want to make meaningful change, mm -hmm. um, regardless of whether or not you believe in their, in their political viewpoints. Um, uh, I feel like that. No, I feel like that term was. I feel like created by a lot of the American people who weren't seeing anything done. But uh, the question was: Do you think that the pandemic will change anything hmm. in Washington D.C. if not the country? Um, 
I think, I think to an extent, um, I think you can kind of see a movement to, um, essentially a four party system as opposed to a two, whether or not we'll actually get there. I'm not so sure, but you can definitely see that on the left, you have the progressive left and the center left Biden and AOC, um, for example. Um, and then on the right, I think you can clearly see that there is still a Trump movement. Um, and then there's also still a Republican movement or classical Republican movement. Um, now, whether or not one of them will win out on either side in order to, you know, make sure that their party is superior or if they'll actually break up, I, I'm not so sure. Um, but I think you can very clearly see now that there are four different ideologies in America. Right. And I think that that's a really healthy and good thing. Um, fosters more debate. It fosters um, more um, more conversation so that instead of just being a dualistic society where you have two choices... Mm-hmm. you have now a litany or <laughs> there we go. Use that word again. Um, you have more options to choose from. Um, and I think that that is a really healthy and good thing. Um, and I think it's one thing that a lot of people really, really were frustrated with, you know, I'm, right. you know, for example, some people in my family were, you know, pro human rights, but anti-abortion. So what do you go for then? Who, which, <laughs> which party do you go for in certain things or like by human rights? I mean like, maybe like immigration or something like that. Right. So by having more options, I think that that's really, really good and being able to say that you don't have to be just one or the other. I agree. Cause I think there's things that I like on both sides, but I feel like it's a little bit more of a, people are afraid to mm-hmm. identify a little bit, like kind of like what they stand for. Yeah. I mean, you see, you hear a lot of people say now I'm economically Republican and socially Democrat or something like that. Right. Right. Um, but what's ridiculous, like that's just its own thing. Like you don't have to say that because it just means that you like to, you like that the government would, uh, use its money responsibly, which I think is a totally reasonable thing to want mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe even like conservatively. Um, but that you also want people to have the freedoms that they deserve. And I think that that's, that's really good too. Um, but there's not really a party for that. And I think in the future, because of the pandemic and because of all of the social movements that we've seen over the past couple of years, um, I think, or the last year, um, I think you'll start to see that kind of, uh, broaden and, and make possible. Now, where's your business today? It's a good question. So we actually sold it. Um, I'm very proud of that. Uh, first business that I've had, um, and we were able to sell it after the pandemic, um, which I didn't think would be possible because I mean, obviously the pandemic was crazy. Um, but we were able to still be successful and and sell it. And it was fun. It's a good time. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Who would you give or what, what advice would you have to give to somebody who is Hmm. wanting to start their own business? Um, I, I've always been that person who just doesn't think that I have like the ideas necessary to create a business. Right. You know, when you like why you type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you see like certain trinkets that come out at Christmas and you're like, I can't believe someone thought about that and made millions of dollars. I can't believe I didn't do that. Um, so I just always assumed that I wouldn't be good at, at kind of creating. And, um, and this kind of showed me that, okay, actually, any of us absolutely can just takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And you have to know that going into it. Um, and you have to go in, I would say a hundred percent. Cause if you're going in, um, with 50% energy, um, then, then yeah, you aren't going to see the returns that you're looking for right away. And then you're going to quit too early. Right. So it does take time and it takes effort. Um, but it can absolutely be achieved by anyone. 
last question I have for you. A mm. uh, bit cliche, but kind of coming home on this one. Um, do you think the American dream is dead? Or, I mean, you're, I think, a good representation of somebody who moved to the United States and built a life for yourself. Mm, thanks. Um, no, I, I don't think so whatsoever. Um, but that's because I think that the American dream is, is like human nature, I think, to an extent. I think we all want to strive for bettering ourselves and bettering our family and I don't think that that will end ever. Um, I think most recently, I think you can see that with Ilan Omar, um, you know, being a Somali refugee and then making her way all the way up to Congress. You know, right. that's an incredible success story that you see um, that you see, you know, tangibly in front of you of the American dream. I think also just because millennials we have a lot more barriers i think to entry into the workforce and all of these things we we assume that the american dream is dead because it's not coming as quickly as it is as it was for our um parents and grandparents um but i don't think that that means that it's dead it just means that we've got a few more barriers to it if that makes sense it's just slower it's just a little slower and you know there's certain things that we can change in order to get that done <laughs> well the fact that we're sitting here today uh, having this conversation i think is very um heartening because i mean we just survived a pandemic yeah or hopefully the rest of the world is still fighting it but we're coming out of it mm. um and yeah yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we had so many <laughs> like, issues with the when stage the pandemic is literally started. set, like for yeah. like the world to like just burn, like, yeah, uh -huh. which is, I mean, that sounds a bit end of the worldly for me to say. But no, I mean, when we started, when we were when the pandemic hit, all of our supply chains like completely closed down. We had to oh, really wow. reconfigure everything that we were doing with where we were getting our glassware and our coffee beans and. And all of these different things, you know. Did you run out of toilet um, paper? Yeah, that was that was a nightmare of a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, I think human ingenuity will always overcome these obstacles that that are put in place in front of us. You just have to adapt, and you have to be willing to adapt, um, and not quit off of the first hardship. If we had quit right after all of the glassware ran out, which was right after the pandemic started, uh, then we would have never sold the business, and we would have never been able to be successful for the the pandemic and ultimately it ended up working out just got to be adaptable <laughs> i love it well cool uh again thank you guys for listening and kyle thank you so much for coming in today mm -hmm. um today's episode was um i think a powerful one i think it's going to resonate with a lot of people who are out there trying to make something of themselves or change a business that they maybe had before the pandemic and adapt it to something new um on the other side of what just happened but um I think coming from this, just don't get discouraged. No, absolutely not. There's always going to be hardships. There's always going to be something that, that gets in the way, but um, trust yourself, believe in yourself, um, stick with that idea that you know is good, and push through because it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding once you get through that hurdle. Cool. Love it. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to Tic Tac Topher.
over.